Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. Speaking of saving cash, Citrus Bowl tickets start as low as $57 on the GameTime app. Are you still on a fence about your seat? No worries. You can click on the listing and look at a panoramic seat view so you'll know how you'll be watching the game. Well, now GameTime is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app. Create an account. Then under the billing section, redeem code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's THEATHLETIC, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code, and it expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019. So make moves quick and score last-minute tickets. Welcome back into second and 26, your dedicated Alabama podcast here on The Athletic. I'm your host, Aaron Suttles, the Alabama beat writer for The Athletic. You can catch my work, obviously, there at the aforementioned Athletic. You can also follow me on Twitter at Aaron Suttles. And follow my work at WJOX 94.5, Monday through Friday from 10 to 2. It's really good to be back in the state of Alabama. Uh, I've been sort of uh, globe trotting, and not really globe, more more like North America uh, trotting, and not even that, more like the, uh, the Northeast Corridor. I've spent the last past few days, and I had the opportunity and the blessing to go to the Army-Navy game, a true bucket list item for me. Got to experience the pageantry that surrounded that game, uh, and and that was a thrill. That was in Philadelphia over the weekend, and then sort of extended my stay in the Northeast and, and made a quick little getaway to Manhattan in the city of New York, which I'll tell you about a little bit later. But uh, we are one day removed, a couple days removed actually, from uh, the early signing period, National Signing Day, as it's uh, more commonly referred to, but it's the early signing period, and some people I think have um, don't have a full understanding of the signing period. They think it's one day, hence National Signing Day. And while it is true that most signing uh, occurs on that specific day of the opening of the signing period, it is a signing period, meaning so they give you a, a window to sign, not just one specific day. So. Um, most college football players that had already verbally committed and wanted to sign and make it official did so on Wednesday, but you have up until Friday. And that's the early signing period. There'll, there'll be a, uh, a second national signing day that's been the more traditional signing day, which is always um, the first Wednesday in February that, uh, that, that schools can sort of supplement their class and, and fill, out, fill out needs. But Alabama sits number two right now in the composite 247 sports rankings, the number two class in the country behind only Clemson. And I believe they're only a point, point and a half behind Clemson right now, Alabama. Um, Alabama apparently didn't get word that the dynasty is dead, as uh, so many people so many people have pontificated and written and, and spoken. Uh, did, that didn't translate to Alabama because Alabama has another strong class that they've uh, they, they've put together. So... Um, obviously headlining that class was Bryce Young, five-star quarterback from Monterey High School in California. And this young man just, uh, you probably saw his exploits through social media all season long. He's just 
phenomenal quarterback. Uh, strangely enough, was was a verbal commitment from for USC for a long time before flipping his commitment in to Alabama, and then he did actually sign with Alabama yesterday. He is an early enrollee, so he will be um, he'll be headed to Tuscaloosa quite shortly. Uh, he he's sort of the crown jewel of the class and another one that got away from the state of California. And if you've, you've kept up with it at all, USC is um, woof for, for a school with the pedigree, uh, the history, the tradition to struggle in recruiting the way USC is doing right now. I believe they're, they're currently ranked 78th. You did not mishear me. There's no need to turn your speakers up. Seven, eight, 78th in recruiting. They have one four-star player. That's it. They have no four. I mean, no other four and five star players beyond one. One, USC. All the talent that they have prox- just in their backyard. The problem is, guys like Bryce Young keep leaving. Guys like uh, you, you know Justin Flo are going up to Oregon. I mean, just think about the just think about the guys that Alabama has got from California the last few years. Just think about the Jonah Williams or the Najee Harris, and now the Bryce Young. Um, just, just incredible that USC finds itself in this position. Obviously, uh, they handicapped themselves with the, the uncertainty around Clay Helton this year. And, and although they did come out and give him that dreaded vote of approval, it was much too late in this recruiting class. So USC sitting 78, and, and Bryce Young would have been a nice feather in their cap where they were able to steal him back, but they were not. Alabama held on to him. Uh, Alabama adds Jace McClellan. He was a late flip on Wednesday evening from Oklahoma. Think about the dynamic between Alabama and Oklahoma over the last couple of years. Just think about this. They obviously met in last year's college football playoff semifinal in the Orange Bowl. And Alabama won that, advanced to the national championship game. Oklahoma went home. But if there was that game, there was obviously the ties between Tua Tonga-Valoa and Kyler Murray and the Heisman Trophy race and all the award shows last year. So this really started even before that game last year in, in sort of the award season. And, and Kyler Murray won a, a lot of those awards, uh, obviously, with Tua Tagovailoa getting hurt in the Georgia game in the SEC championship. But uh, you know, since that time, just think about the dynamic. Alabama wins that game, and then after the season, Jalen Hurts announces he's transferring to none other than Oklahoma, right? So then Jalen goes on and, and plays well enough. He becomes a Heisman finalist this year. Um, but beyond that, two of Alabama's highest-rated players in, in the 2020 recruiting class were once Oklahoma verbal commitments. Uh, Jace, Jace McClellan, the running back that I just told you about that flipped on Wednesday night, and Drew Sanders, a five-star sort of hybrid outside linebacker, defensive end. You know, If you needed him, he could play tight end. But he's, he's coming to Alabama to play line, outside linebacker. He was an Oklahoma commitment too. So just a sort of weird connection these two programs have had over the last, I don't know, year, a little more than a year. Of course, Alabama would like to trade places with Oklahoma right now because Oklahoma is, is going to be participating in the college football playoff on, on December 28th and against LSU. And Alabama's in, in begun its preparations to play Michigan in the Citrus Bowl, but uh, good good recruiting class for Alabama. They signed a quarterback in Bryce Young. They signed an outstanding, probably one of the best, the nation's best linebacking classes. I mentioned Drew Sanders. Um, you know, there's Chris 
Chris Braswell and whether he ends up playing outside linebacker defensive end remains to be seen. He's still sort of an edge player. Uh, Jackson Bratton, an inside linebacker from Muscle Shoals. Uh, Quandarius Robinson's a special elite edge rush player. So Alabama's linebacking class is really good, uh, one of the nation's best. And um, they they bolstered the, the running back depth just in case Najee Harris goes pro. I mentioned Jace McClellan. Um, they, they already had Roy Dale Williams. They got a young man from Louisiana. So uh, running, running back's pretty good. They did not really address the issues at tight end. Tight end was a position of, of uh, relative concern throughout the 2019 season for Alabama after uh, Miller Forsall got injured. But, you know, we, we all know what, what Irv Smith Jr. was in the, in the 2018 offense. And Alabama just didn't really have much of a presence at tight end this year. They, they were going to hit it. And they've basically, you know, not had a ton of success. Um, they brought in one tight end in this class, but they wanted they were they were shooting for more, and so far that hasn't happened. They were able to hold on to Timothy Smith, which you sort of consider that a win on National Signing Day. Listen, National Signing Day was pretty boring for Alabama, and which is a good thing. You know, the hay's in the barn. You make sure you you get the guys that are committed to you to sign. Alabama did that, and then you know you get a late flip in Jace McClellan. Everything's good, but uh, relatively boring. They. But that's good because Timothy Smith, Tim Smith was a guy, defensive lineman out of Florida that the, that the University of Florida had targeted and felt they had made some inroads into his recruitment. And, and there was some, some worry, quite frankly, this week that, that, that Alabama may not be able to hold on to him. But he inks, he signs with Alabama, so he's a part of the class, which is, which is good. Alabama signed a Juco corner, uh, just overall a solid class. And they're not done, you know, depending on – on roster management, how Nick Saban um, manages this going forward, there, there's still at least three spots, you know, maybe more available to sign in February. You would have to think they wanted to, you know, like to add maybe another offensive lineman, maybe another receiver, maybe a tight end, maybe a defensive lineman. But we'll see which way they go. Just Nick Saban was pleased with the class and. And one thing I noticed during Nick Saban's press conference on Wednesday evening, and I was in, you know, I was in airports all day Wednesday. So, you know, what little I kept up with, you know, National Signing Day uh, from a national perspective. Obviously, I kept up with Alabama because I sort of already, as I mentioned, it was sort of a an uneventful day. There wasn't much to keep up with. Just making sure that those who were committed uh, stayed committed. It was, um, and that's relatively easy with social media. But to what level I was. Um, you know, able to follow it nationally uh, was all via social media. But uh, I was able to watch Nick Saban's press conference um, on my laptop in the Atlanta airport. And one thing that struck me as I was transcribing his words is um, he really put an emphasis on character in this class. And there's a couple different ways, I guess, to look at that. Because one way is when did you not place an emphasis on character? And that's a great question. And in fact, I wrote about that character aspect of this class uh, and it's up today at the athletic. And I've noticed a few commenters have pointed out, you know, why did it, why did you ever get away from recruiting character? I, I don't know that you get away from recruiting character. I think you take some chances sometimes, if that makes sense. When you've, when you're Nick Saban and you've had a ton of success um, not not just on the field, but with individuals who helped that success on the field in their 
off the field worlds when you've had success in that regard and you've helped a young man either, I don't know, turn his life around or keep him out of trouble or um, fulfill a promise to a family that your child will leave with an education. When you've had some success stories, as every program does, uh, you, you, not that you feel invincible, you just start to feel like you can do that for any young man that comes into your program. And so you take maybe more chances than you would have in the past because you've seen, you've seen the aftermath of when you have taken a chance prior and it work out and you feel good about yourself and you feel good for that person and you feel good for that family and you delivered on a promise to a family that, you know, if you sign here, this is what's going to happen. And part of what's going to happen is, is that we're going to prepare you to play in the NFL if that's what your dream is, or if not, we're going to prepare you for something after football. And that, that involves a degree and a college education. And once you've had success in doing that, I think you think you can, you can do it for every guy. And so you take more chances and you take more numbers of chances. So you look at um, situations like Ayabi Anoma or Antonio Alfano, two really high-profile recruits in the last two respective recruiting classes who didn't pan out at Alabama. And they didn't pan out at Alabama for various reasons, but a lot of them were personal and off-the-field stuff. And like Yabi Anoma's kicked out of – like the university expelled him. He's kicked out of school. Um, that's a wasted scholarship, wasted effort um, on a guy that never made a meaningful um, contribution to your program. Antonio Alfano just disappears in the dead of night, never to return. Transfers to Colorado. That, that doesn't mean that either of these kids are bad kids or that they're irredeemable or, or anything like that. It just means you've taken some chances with those guys because they were five-star guys. They were elite guys, and it didn't pan out. And I think Nick Saban has, um, has gotten in tune with his locker room again. Not that he ever didn't, but I think – let's be, let's be honest. The, the last couple locker rooms haven't been what other locker rooms have been, and that's not – all that abnormal because when your roster turns over by a fourth every year, as it does in college football, locker rooms are, um, you know, the chemistry is a very delicate thing and it can change dramatically from one year to the next. So that's what I got when Nick Saban started emphasizing, or, or at least went out of his way during his press conference on Wednesday night to talk about character and character should never have left the part of the evaluation process. In fact, I could make a really good argument. That's why Clemson's so good. I mean, Clemson's sitting number one in the rankings right now, but go look at Clemson's past recruiting classes. They're good, top 15 classes, but they weren't winning. I mean, they're, they're not getting the number one ranking every year in recruiting. They were, they were recruiting needs and quality character guys, and I think their locker room re reflects that. And I think to a certain extent that's what Nick Saban meant when he talked about went out of his way to sort of talk about the character of guys they recruited in this class, guys like – Christian Story or Bryce Young, um, you know, Jackson Bratton. Again, I don't think they ever got away from recruiting character. I do think they took more chances than, you know, if they had to do again, do it over again, they would. And they just sort of reemphasized it. But it was interesting to hear Nick Saban talk about that, especially in this age when transferring is very easy. The transfer portal makes it very easy for any individual to leave whenever they want to. And, you know, roster management becomes a trickier situation with that. You, they haven't upped the number of scholarships that you can give each year. So when you lose a guy, it, it affects your depth somewhere along the line. And when, you know, the two really good players, arguably the two best players in your last two recruiting classes, 
leave without having played a, a moment of significant football for you for sort of off the field reasons, it affects your depth. And so maybe it changes your mindset on mindset of how many of those quote unquote risky recruits you're willing to take. Not again, not that there's anything wrong uh, per se with a Yabi Anoma or Antonio Alfano. I'm just using them as examples from, from the recent past for Alabama and what may have been playing into Nick Saban's comments, this recruiting class this recruiting cycle and, and Wednesday night when he, he mentioned that. That, that was one thing that really stood out to me, and we'll, we'll continue to follow um, the three or four, how many of spots Alabama has left um, up until the, the, the traditional National Signing Day in February. Did you guys see – you know, you heard me talk about Bryce Young and what a quality quarterback he is. Nick Saban sort of gushed over him during his press conference, and it wasn't just on-the-field ability. It was just sort of everything about the young man. There was a comment made, and a lot of people have have sort of put this idea out there that you know if Bryce Young will be the starting quarterback at Alabama next year. I'm I understand the sentiments there. Uh, I also understand Nick Saban is very very sort of loyal to veterans in his program that have put the time in, and if that veteran doesn't make a mistake especially at quarterback, if you don't turn the football over, if you're getting the, the, the team in the right plays, if you're playing winning football, you're very difficult to beat out. I can point out several examples during the Nick Saban era that point to just that. That doesn't mean that Bryce Young will not be the quarterback. I don't know who's going to be quarterback next year. I'm just saying it to all those who think it's just a slam dunk that Bryce Young beats out Mac Jones, I, I say you probably need to reevaluate that. Again, not saying he's not. I'm not saying that Bryce Young is not going to be the quarterback. I'm just saying it's far from a, uh, a given. Uh, and, I, and I'll leave it at that. But beyond that, did you see what Tua Tungavaloa tweeted on Wednesday evening? Tua, listen, let me set the context context uh, for this tweet before we even really discuss the tweet. Tua Tungavaloa is not a young man that um, does stuff for attention. Does that make sense? Like he, He's not one that's out here to garner self-gratification for himself by throwing some stuff out on Twitter. I'm sure that's a byproduct of some of the stuff he does, but I don't, I just don't, that's not that young man. He's not going to say something just to, to create a stir. But what he tweeted Wednesday night was decisions, decisions. My response to that would be, what does it mean, Alabama fans? What does it mean? He tweeted decisions, decisions. Was he trying to choose between the Chick fil A sandwich and the Popeye's chicken sandwich? Were those the decisions that he's trying to get down to? Was he trying to, was he trying to make his entertainment decision for the, where he's going to get the most bang for his buck? Is he trying to decide between Netflix and Disney Plus? What does it mean? Could it be he's trying to decide whether he wants to go pro or come back to Alabama? That's probably where your mind goes first. That's where probably my mind went first. But it could have been something as simple as what do I want for dinner? Am I going to subscribe? <laughs> Am I going to subscribe <laughs> to Netflix or Disney Plus? What am I doing? Decisions, decisions. Tua, you got to let us know. I know you're a big fan of second and 26. Just give us some sort of sign as to what that tweet meant. I feel like I feel like the, we're the Catholic Church and we're waiting on on the the new pope, you know, the the do we have white smoke? Have they signaled the, the fact that we're, when how is Tua going to signal to us he's made a decision? These are the important questions we need answers to. What do you guys think it meant? You can hit me up on Twitter at Aaron Suttles. you can uh, you can comment on any of the articles. What do you guys think it meant? Decisions, decisions. And and 
dare we? Sh- shall we dare think about Tua Tungvaloa coming back? Listen, he put it out there when it with with his in, in, interview with Kirk Herbstreit on ESPN. He laid out a case of why he might come back. I still personally think it's going to be really difficult to turn down a lot of money because I still personally think that one or more teams is going to fall in love with him and draft him in the first round, regardless of how many games he can play in that first season. If you've determined that a guy's your number one, if you've determined if you've determined you have a chance to get a franchise quarterback. Why do you care about six or eight or ten meaningless games in his rookie season when you've got four more years behind that that you could have him? It's chess, not checkers. And I think multiple teams will be thinking along the lines of that rather than worrying about, oh, my goodness, our rookie quarterback can't play for six games. Oh, you don't throw him to the wolves for six or eight games? That's probably best for him. He can sit back and learn. Regardless, I'm not going to get sidetracked here. I think one or more of those teams will will see value in drafting two in the first round. I think there will be a lot of guaranteed money, and I think that's going to be very difficult for the young man to pass up. But he's mature enough. And one thing that he he's made abundantly clear is that his face will his faith will guide this process. And when you're a faith based person, um, you you make decisions very you you contemplate. You pray, and you feel like you're being led somewhere. So what if he feels he's being led to come back? I'm just saying, what if, what if we live in a world where Tua Tungvaloa comes back for a senior season? How drastically does that change the landscape? Not of just Alabama. Not of just the SEC. College football. It's that big. It would send aftershocks through college football if he came back. Because start thinking about this. If Alabama loses the number of juniors that, that – we sort of anticipate they might lose. I still think, and I've said this, I may have been one of the first ones that were beating the drum that more juniors are probably going to come back than, than most people realize because most people just automatically assumed that every junior was leaving or every draftable junior was leaving. And I always made the case I didn't think that was the, that was true. I still don't think it's true. I think uh, I think some juniors will leave and I think some juniors will come back. And, and some may surprise some people. We'll find out. But let's just say that they lose a few of the juniors we think they're going to lose. Right? How do you think the, the the voters and the AP pool are going to view that? Like, my point is, Alabama's not going to start the season off number one next year. They might not start the season in the top three next year. We'll see. If Tua comes back, they might. If Tua comes back, I would almost guarantee they'll be a top three team, and they'll probably be getting some votes, some first place votes. I don't know if they'll be number one preseason, but if Tua comes back, it shifts the thought process on Alabama entirely. That's how big a decision it would be. Again, we'll wait and see. In the meantime, we'll continue to to try to read into Tua's tweets. Was he talking about Chick-fil-A and Popeyes? Was he talking about Netflix and Disney? What What do you guys think he was talking about? Hit me up. Let me know. Yeah, I, was in, uh, I was in New York City uh, earlier this week. And if you know me, if you follow this podcast, if you follow my Twitter account. If you follow the mailbag here at the athletic, you know that I get a lot of questions. I get asked a lot about bourbon. It's sort of, um, I sort of have a passion for it. I, I, I don't drink a lot. I know, a, I know a lot about bourbon. I collect bourbon and here in the state of Alabama, it's a state controlled, um, liquor store. So they, they very much control the distribution, how much of it we get and all that. So needless to say, it can, it can be very difficult to find good bottles of bourbon. Like, uh, we, we we get good bourbon. Don't get me wrong, but like uh, some some bigger names, it can be. I mean, it's hard to find blends. It's hard to find Weller. Uh, 
right? So I always sort of, when I go different places, I, I go into liquor stores and um, I go to look for bottles of bourbon that I might not be able to find at home. And so that's what I was doing on the Upper East Side of Manhattan this week. And we'd walk by a store. I'd, hey, can we go in here? And I would just look. I'd just look at the bottles they have. And again, um, they're probably, it's probably a misconception to me that I drink a lot. I don't. Like I have, the amount of bourbon I have in my house is crazy. It's a lot, but all of it's unopened. Um, and, you know, we're toying around in my neighborhood with the idea of starting a bourbon club where the guys can get together and we can, you know, share notes and, and different bottles and, and, and have a tasting club sort of. But the way I, the way I consume bourbon at home, it's very much a shared experience. Like I, when I finish this podcast, I'm not rolling downstairs and cracking them, uh, the bottle of Weller that I just bought. Not happening. Right. But if somebody comes over, a friend comes to visit families in town, we just had Thanksgiving, Christmas is coming up. I'm going to, we're going to crack open a bottle and we're going to have a shared experience of drinking good bourbon. That's the way I enjoy it. Plus, there's also, there's also the, it's, and this is hard to explain for, for people who aren't into it. There's also the joy in finding a bottle on a shelf. Uh, I, I, I joke with my wife. I say, I call it in the wild. There's always a joy of finding a nice bottle of bourbon, quote unquote, in the wild, meaning just on a shelf somewhere. And, and then you start, you know, how much has it been marked up? You know, or are we dealing with package store prices where there's, you know, two, 300% markup on some of this stuff. And then you, you make the determination if you want to buy. So I was walking, uh, I was walking down in the Upper East Side in Manhattan and, just miserable weather, you know, got the, got the coat on, it's cold, it's raining, got the umbrellas. I mean, it's just miserable. See the liquor store. We, we duck in, they had multiple bottles of Blanton. They had Weller. And I was like, Oh, I mean the, the joy of me simply finding it, not the fact that I was going to buy it. Just the fact that I spotted it out in the wild was exciting for me. So then I start thinking, okay, I can get these two right here. And then I start planning out the rest of my day. I'm like, well, you know what? I don't want to carry this around all day. I got, you know, walking around the streets of Manhattan with two bottles of bourbon. That's, that doesn't sound like a good day. So I'm like, you know what? I know what time this place is open till. Uh, I know when my trip ends. I will, I will circle back at some point and I will, I will find these. So, so I left and continued literally, literally like maybe a block, two blocks up. Um, as I was heading south walking as you do in Manhattan. And I found another liquor store. We dodged back in. Not only did they have Blanton's and Weller, they also had Stag and they had Willet. And at this point, I start doing the comparisons in my head of the, the differences in the prices between the second store and the first store. I'm like, I, I, I got to get it. The, the prices were so much better in store number two than store number one. I made the determination I'm getting it. And then I'm doubling back to the hotel. I'm going to drop my... Uh, my score off back in the hotel room, and then I'll go about my day. So I um, I procured a bottle of Willet. I got a bottle of Weller, and I got uh, Blanton's. Now I I didn't get the Stag. I really I very much wanted the Stag. In fact, this was the first Stag I've seen out in the wild in a really long time. But the markup on it was insane. I mean, the markup on it was truly insane, and I wasn't I wasn't doing that. Like my love of bourbon and collecting bourbon is great. Uh, it, it was not that great. So that's my latest in the wild story for bourbon. And I hope you guys 
appreciate it. Hey, save 40% off your first year subscription to The Athletic by visiting theathletic.com forward slash Roll Tide. That's right, 40% off your first year subscription. You can also gift it. We have a gift promo. So if you have a subscription and you're really enjoying what you're listening to, what you're reading, and you want a friend, a family member, uh, a relative to to enjoy that, you can gift that to them as well. And as we know, it's the season of giving. Now's the perfect time to gift an athletic subscription to your friends and family. Visit theathletic.com forward slash gift. You can put a bow on a one-year subscription, $20 off your regular price. You heard me, $20 off the regular price. Again, visit theathletic.com forward slash gift for the perfect present for any sports fan. I'll be back. I'll be back. I know it's I know it's a big week next week. We got we got Christmas around the corner. We got holidays. If you don't um if you don't celebrate Christmas, you certainly celebrate the holidays, but I celebrate Christmas. So next week is Christmas for me. But we will be back with a new episode, a free episode of Second and 26 next Monday. So make sure you're on the lookout for that. Until then, I'll catch you again on Second and 26.